This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org slash events. I'm Patrick Smith, in for Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. During the 4th of July weekend, over 50 people were shot here in Chicago. Eight were shot and three killed in a mass shooting in Fort Worth, Texas. And on Sunday, 11 people were injured when a gunman opened fire on a nightclub in Wichita, Kansas. Violence like this has come to be expected over long holiday weekends in our city and communities across the country. And a new poll from Pew Research shows that 62% of Americans believe that gun violence is only going to get worse. The numbers are grim. But at least here in our city, there is also a growing movement of peacekeepers who are trying to end this cycle of violence in Chicago. So today on the podcast, we're talking to a panel of those folks who are working on the front lines. Dominique McCord is the chief program officer of Metropolitan Peace Initiatives. Paul Robinson is the deputy director of programs for Chicago Cred. And rounding out our panel is Cedric Hawkins. He's an outreach leader also for Chicago Cred, working on the south side of Chicago. So, Dominique, I just talked about the numbers for the long weekend. I'm wondering sort of philosophically how you all look at these long holiday weekends. You know, are organizations doing special prep for them? And then are you judging success or failure by those raw shooting tallies that I'm talking about? So I think, yes, organizations are doing lots of things. Uh, Cedric will be able to talk a little bit about the on on the ground efforts uh, for peacekeepers this weekend. We still keep with our normal programming, which is Light in the Night, which reclaims safe spaces in our communities. And so Light in the Night for Communities Partner for Peace, CP4P, actually kicks off um, on the Uh, July 4th holiday weekend. So we're in the community letting folks know that we're there and we're hoping uh, that they will have a safe and enjoyable holiday weekend. Um, I think one shooting is too many. So we're, we're never successful, but we're always aiming to reduce and try to make people feel as safe as possible, if that makes sense. So this fourth, looking at the 4th of July weekend, looking at the 4th of July shooting numbers, that's not just media driven. I mean, you all who are doing this work, you're looking at that. You know, this is an important weekend for you all, too. Absolutely. Uh, We we know that um, this, as you said, is one of the most uh, deadly weekends uh, for Chicago uh, on a yearly basis. But what we do want to note is that if we look back across the last uh, three to four years, there were substantially less shootings and the pre- than in the previous years. Yeah, yeah Paul, I mean, as, as Dominique's talking about here, the latest numbers from CPD, they show that we had 20 fewer shooting incidents over the four-day stretch, you know, Friday to, to, to yesterday evening, 10 fewer me- murders this long weekend compared to the f- same four-day stretch last year. I mean, are you all declaring victory here? Is that a credit to, to the work that you all are doing? Well, I think it would be premature to declare victory, but we're certainly encouraged by the numbers. And it's thanks in large part to people like said and a number of peacekeepers that were deployed all over the city this weekend. We strategically have folks deployed to hot spots where we know there's high likelihood of violence occurring, and their job is to help cool down those spots and help drive down the numbers. 
and it appears they've had some success. Yeah, and Cedric, you were out on the south side. Tell me about where you were. What were you doing this weekend? So this weekend I was on um I was at thirty first beach and um we was down there for the trend youth mm-hmm. for the trends where the youth come down and, you know, do certain things as far as violence. And we was just down there just to be able to engage with the individuals and, you know, talk to them and try our best to keep individuals from not doing certain violence. And and let me ask um, about those teen trends. You know, there's been a lot of coverage. We had the big incident downtown where there was, I say incident, there were a lot of young people downtown, which isn't a problem on its own, but there ended up being a lot of mayhem earlier this summer. We've had incidents on 31st Street Beach and North Avenue Beach, um, these teen trends that you're talking about where lots of young people gather together and, and as much as they should be allowed to have a good time, there's sometimes tr- trouble comes out of that. Um, is that distracting from the sort of anti-violence work that you all normally do? Is it adding to what you're doing? H- how does the, the sort of patrolling like you were doing on the beaches factor into the work you're doing overall? So distracting? No, it's not distracting at all. And it's, it's all a part of the work, you know, being able to engage with high-risk individuals. That's, that's the job, you know, being able to talk to these individuals and hopefully get some type of resources for them, some type of services for them to, you know, do something different instead of want to be a part of violence. So, you know, when we're down, when we're getting deployed to these places, we are trying to get individuals to, you know, get a new look on life, something besides violence. So it's just another opportunity for you all to connect with people. Yes, sir. So you were on 31st Street Beach. Uh, broadly, I don't know if you know about the whole city or, or the south side. I mean, for this weekend, where were people deployed? Are you doing over? T- are you having are you like having longer shifts or having people people work more uh, on, on a holiday weekend like this to, to try to prevent shootings? Yes, we um, actually have seven day coverage this um, week due to the holiday weekend. And um, any any time that, you know, it's a youth trend or, you know, some 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 type of problem going on with the youth or, you know, high risk individuals, we try to be, you know, on location to be able to serve, help serve them individuals, whichever way we can. So from where you sit, I mean, knowing about yeah, obviously 31st Street Beach, but all the larger the larger uh, efforts. How did it go this week? We talked about the numbers, but I mean, from what you saw, how did it go this weekend as an anti-violence worker? So, so for me this weekend, where I was deployed to, uh, everything went it, it went well. You know, as far as um, the violence part of it, yeah. Uh, allegedly, there were um, some um, guns that was caught at the gate, trying to come into the beach at Thirty First Street Beach. At Thirty First Street Beach, but other than that, you know, everything went well. You know, we was able to engage with the youth that came down. You know. And um, everything went, everything was smooth. Did you have one particular incident where you got to really connect with a young person? You felt like, wow, I, I got to, I, I interjected into this person's life, and I could see that maybe I changed their, maybe not their path, but but changed, you know, helped help change their life. So this weekend, I I wouldn't say I was able to do it as of right now. So this weekend, I was able to engage with some individuals who was down there. But what I'm gonna have to do is stay in touch with these individuals to try to help them to be able to get the services because it's right now they just know about what we do and how we do things. They haven't actually been a part of what we do. But maybe this was the first step. But maybe this is the first step. So, so Paul, uh, you know, you oversee programming for Chicago Cred. You know, you're not, you're not overseeing outreach work like what Cedric is doing. What do you all do? Is there something special you all do for holiday weekends like, like this? Yeah, absolutely. So Chicago Cred works with young men and women that are at the highest risk to shoot or be shot. And 
we provide a range of services, including street outreach, but also life coaching, clinical therapy, education, and employment and training. But specifically on these holiday weekends, Memorial Day, 4th of July, and Labor Day, one of the things we do is we, we have about 500 active participants in our program, and we try to get as many young people out of the city as possible. So our entire staff works these holiday weekends and travels. So over Memorial Day, we took a huge group to New York City, which was incredible exposure opportunity and team building opportunity. This weekend, um, we had teams deployed out to Detroit, and uh, everyone really enjoyed themselves. I was getting lots of feedback and pictures from the teams out there. And it's an opportunity to get some people exposure, get them out of the weekend during these high-violence weekends. And also it's an opportunity for us to build those connections and bonds that Sed was talking about with the young people. And so th- these 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 people that you're, you're you know, taking out on trips, are these people, obviously they're involved in cred programming. Is it is it especially dangerous for them to be around Chicago during the weekend or is it just a chance for them to get out and enjoy themselves? It's especially dangerous. You know, in the time that I've worked at Chicago Cred, we've lost over 30 participants to gun violence. And so we really are working with the most acutely at risk individuals in our city. And unfortunately, while the rest of us could go out to the beach or go to a barbecue or maybe go downtown and watch NASCAR, for a lot of the individuals we're working with, that would be a huge safety risk. Um, And so for them to get out of the neighborhood, be off the block, be somewhere, um, you know, outside of Chicago, it's a very relaxing experience. I've been on many of these trips. And one of the big takeaways we get from the young people is like, I don't have to look over my shoulder. I feel like I can just walk freely around this community. I don't have to worry about who I'm going to bump into. And it starts to give them a vision as well of what safety might feel like in the future. Excellent. Dominique, you know, you're an expert in behavioral health and and, and wellness. You know, obviously, this is a cred initiative. um, But how important is it for people who have been affected by gun violence or sort of living in the midst of it to get an opportunity like this to, to sort of completely step outside of what their you know day to day is like, so is absolutely a great opportunity. It allows them to expand their worldview and to see other things beyond their immediate environment and to dream. You know, what do you see yourself like? Is the magic? What do you see your life like in three to five years? Is a magic question we often ask people. And so, when you expose people to any individual to different environments and different. Uh, opportunities, it allows them to see beyond their immediate circumstances and to envision what their life would be like if they were in safer conditions. Yeah, because I think the, the, the people listening would not think of anti-violence work, including taking people out on a trip to New York or Detroit. But it sounds like you believe that is a, you know, this is an important part of it. New York, Detroit, Naperville, <laughs> um, so many things. I know that uh, individuals within the CP4P group as well take individuals to excursions such as Top Golf and you know other things that allow them to have fun and to reduce some of those immediate stressors that cause anxiety and hypervigilance and to be able to play. You know, if we think about it, many of our individuals are adults but have never really had true opportunities to engage in play, and relaxation activities. Excellent. And I should say CP4P is Communities Partnering for Peace. That is a a sort of umbrella organization of different anti-violence groups like Chicago Cred, supported by Metropolitan Peace Initiatives. Thank you for that. Dominique, back to you for a second. Chicago, I want to sort of trace the history of this, the recent history of this anti-violence movement here in the city. We had a huge spike in gun violence back in 2016. Were you around for those sort of conversations after after that spike? Absolutely. So I joined Metropolitan Communities Partner for Peace in 2017, summer of 2017. You know, and during that time, you know, we were serving 
you know, um, nine communities across eight organizations. To date, we've grown for Communities Partnering for Peace to serving 14 community partners across 27 communities. How was it decided then that the way we should respond to this spike in gun violence is with these sort of non-policing solutions, you know, putting people who know the communities out onto the streets trying to connect with people? How, how did that decision get made? It, it was a very thoughtful, you know, um, a very thoughtful decision to approach services from a holistic perspective. Um, the original funders of, of communities partnering for peace were private, you know, entities that got together and wanted to do something collectively to be able to address and again address it from a holistic perspective. So going beyond what we typically knew as violence intervention services and deciding to fund a comprehensive set of services that included programming such as behavioral health, job readiness, and placement. Senator, how long have you been doing this this anti-violence work? Four years. Four years. How did you get into it? When I when I first heard about it, I thought it was um, law enforcement, police. <laughs> <laughs> but um, actually, how I got in it was um, some of, some of the guys from the neighborhood was telling me about it when I first came home from prison, and um, they was just letting me know like, if you want to do something positive, bro, you know. We got something going on, you know, it's a, it's a program called CRED. This is how they explained it to me, right? And I'm like, something going on? What you mean? You know, they they like, well, we got something going on um, where they need some individuals from our area to be able to, you know, um, speak with cer- certain high risk in our area, you know. And um, at first I was like, well, you know, I don't know if I want to do that, you know. And then the flip came about, and I joined the flip team. And I want to stop you there because flip. This is a program where where people who are really connected to their communities. I, I mean, you know, tell me if I've got this wrong. Are are sort of stationed at violence hotspots, and their job is just to try to prevent violence in that specific area. Is that fair to say? Exactly. And so you started doing that. Exactly. Four years ago. Four years ago. So I started the flip four years ago, and. Um, I was actually on the flip team for maybe like three months, and then I filled out for outreach, you know, because I enjoyed what I was doing on the flip, you know, even though I was in my area and, um, you know, just talking to the guys from my area and trying to keep the crime down in my area that I'm that I'm from. Mm-hmm. You know, once I joined the outreach team, I was able to not only help individuals from my area, but able to help individuals from all over, you know due to collaborating with other people and things of that nature. How does it work? I think, you know, even at the years I've been reporting on this, I still think it's hard to get people to understand. It's even hard for me to wrap my head around how you connect with somebody. You've got somebody who's in the who's in the midst of gun violence. You know, they've lost people to gun violence. Maybe they've been perpetrators themselves. Um, they're really in the thick of it. They might feel wronged, and they're like, I, I, I want to get revenge. My friend got killed or my friend got shot. How does it work? How do you connect with somebody to try to convince them no – this isn't worth it, or there's another way. So, so for me, with that, that is, you know, it's different. It's different strokes for different folks. You know, some individuals, you know, that um, sometimes they they cry out for help. You know, you may you may have an individual that's study telling you what they're gonna do. You know, and when you have most of the time, when you have an individual that's study telling you what they're gonna do, most of the time they're crying out for help. Most of the time they're looking for mm-hmm. somebody to, you know calm them down to get them to think differently you know so i would say in 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 that form it would be it's different for different people you know now when you when when an individual 
is letting you know that, you know, they finna do it and they walking off from you like it's, it's there, you know, and that's a, that's another way to look at things too. So you may have to go to that individual with another strategy. You know, you might have to go to him and say, "Man, you know, let's go out to eat for a second or you and and it depends on your relationship. You know, it depends on the relationship that you have with these individuals cuz anyone just can't do that, you know. So if you got the the right people with the right relationships, you know, it it just depends on the person that that is involved and then what strategy you're going to use to try to get that individual to calm down. You know, I guess big picture, how do you think the anti-violence efforts in the city have gone so far this year? I'm very encouraged by how it's going this year. When I started at CRED six years ago, we were a small organization working with 30 young people. And now we have eight locations around the city and we're serving about 500 young people. And we're just one of many amazing organizations, including Ready Chicago, the entire CP4P network. Um but, you know, I always tell people if you could come by Chicago Cred site and see it in person, you'd understand why I'm so inspired. I mean, every day our sites are packed with young men and young women that are at high risk to shoot or be shot, but they're doing incredible things and going through very, very challenging transformation process, but are very committed. Our participants are with us on average five days a week, about 20 hours a week, working on their high school diploma, attending therapy, going to groups setting goals with their life coaches. And, um, you know, it's incredible work that we get to do every day, and it's a tremendous privilege. We just really need to scale the work. Right now we know we're only serving about maybe 15% of the young people in the city that deserve these services. And so I'm optimistic as the network continues to grow that um, when we reach a critical mass, we're going to see some amazing transformation in our city. And it was um – Back in May, there was a, a tragic shooting at in the parking lot, I believe, of, yeah. of the Chicago Cred location in, in Roseland. We lost a, you lost a participant in the in the Cred program. I mean, how hard is it to do this work when the people that you're helping and the people who want to who want the help, who want to change their lives or or, or better their lives, are still facing this this threat? I mean, how, what what's that like? Yeah, it was a. Terrible day. May 17th, a young man named Ronnie Roper was at one of our Roseland locations. He actually stopped by unexpectedly to work on his high school diploma because he was making so much progress he wanted to get an extra day in. Unfortunately, what he didn't know is that he had been followed to our site that day. And so when he stepped outside the doors of our building, there were two gunmen in a car with tinted windows outside, and they rushed him and, and killed him in the parking lot of our building. Um, it was terrible. I was there a few moments later, um, tremendously traumatizing for our staff. What you need to understand doing this work is you fall in love with these young people. You work with them every day. You're setting goals with them. You're helping them imagine their future. And so our staff are really deeply invested. They know they knew Ronnie's kids. They knew his family. And, um, you know, we're so excited. He was actually leaving the next day to go on a trip to New York with us. And um, so it was devastating. But we have a tremendously resilient team, and what amazed me is the next day we're asking the staff, how much time off do you need? You know, we're getting grief counselors for them, and to a person, they're like, I'm more committed than ever. Let's reopen. Let's get back to work. There's 40 other young people that rely on us every day that come to this site, and we need to do this for them. Of course, we took a step back, and we took a pause, and the most important thing is that we can keep our staff and our participants safe when they're coming to us. Um, and so we learned some valuable lessons, but uh, Ronnie will be tremendously missed. And, um, you know, we're just going to keep pushing forward. 
I want we're going to get back to this the toll this can take on on staff who do the work and and the best ways to support them. Um, talking about the the communities that are most affected by gun violence, I think Dominique, it can be easy to make this all a conversation about numbers. Uh, are they up? Are they down? How many? You know, and, and the tallies can feel kind of dehumanizing sometimes. I think uh, it's easy to forget the people who are affected. I mean, can you talk about the mental health impact? In neighborhoods, not even just people who lose loved ones to gun violence, but just living in a neighborhood that that is beset by gun violence. I mean, what what is the impact like on residents there? So when we think about, you know, the impacts we see, like, I, I you know, sometimes when we're out in the wake of a shooting, we see people retreat. Right. It's, it's difficult. You know, it's difficult. And while, you know, we're there to help, we have to let them know that we're going to be there consistently um, because they see the problem consistently and they grow they grow weary. Um, so to have individuals who are in the work um, committed to and they see familiar faces and know, you know, whether it's at light in the night, which is, you know, our good times, our times when we are, you know, trying to expand areas of safety or in the wake of a shooting when they can see this. Our therapists are there in, in both instances for victim services so they can see people who are there to support them consistently. We want to show them you know, that we're available, you know, at a variety of times. And I think that helps us to build a relationship. Mm. It's no different than the relationship Cedric spoke to with our participants. We have to let the community know, you know, that we care and that we're going to show up to provide them with the services that they need. And and zooming out of it, I mean, what role does access to quality mental health care, quality mental health resources play in the rate of violence that you see in a community? I mean, do you think that there is a, a if a lack of mental health care available can contribute to, to high levels of violence in a community? Absolutely, because there are things that could have been present that are compounded before the shooting where individuals may have needed and or wanted. And when we know about the landscape of Medicaid across our city, there are not enough individuals who provide Medicaid or sliding fee scale services to individuals who, you know, we, we, we are aware that those are the individuals who make up the communities in which the shootings are occurring. So, again, when you have compounded trauma, um, they're just the, the number, sheer number of clinicians are low to begin with. And then uh, clinicians who are qualified and trained to work and be responsive to the needs of the individuals, the numbers get even smaller. Cedric, I want to ask, you know, yesterday um, was the one year anniversary of the mass shooting in Highland Park. Uh, there was um, justifiably so a lot of, of memorial and, and, and remembrance going on there. In the wake of that shooting, there was a lot of, they got, I know that the people who were affected had access to trauma counseling. There were a flood of resources into that community to help people. And, and, and that's how it should be. But I'm wondering if you, as somebody who works on the south side of Chicago, who works with gun violence uh, victims, uh, survivors, um, do you wish we saw that kind of flood of resources going into Chicago neighborhoods that, that, sit, that experience high levels of gun violence? Yes, I wish that every day just to see it on the news where they are getting so much attention. And, you know, in Chicago, it's like the only attention we get is the bad part of, it. you know, is no at the at the one day of a, a newscast, you know, after that is is no more talked about. You know, we just had a mass shooting um, weeks ago on 99th and um, in Princeton, you know, and um you know, you you haven't heard about it after after they hit the news. The, the first week is over with, you know, and I'm pretty sure that there was a lot of trauma be, because not only was it a a get together for a family, but allegedly it was a loss that was 
that they were celebrating the year before. So, you know, just just to have, you know, multiple family members to get together with this with trauma and then to be faced with a mass shooting while they're celebrating, you know, a loss, you know, I think it'd be best to bring these type of to have these type of services in Chicago to help our people where the violence is, you know, just through the roof. Right. And, it, you know, it can be tough to talk about this because I don't ever want to get involved in sort of deserving, vic- you know, in either direction of who deserves more more attention or who deserves more help, because everybody deserves help and deserves a flood of resources after a traumatic event. I guess. Yeah. Like what I'm talking about is should this be a model? Is this a model that we could follow after mass shootings or, or you know, days with a lot of shootings in Chicago? It sounds like you think it should be. I believe I believe it should be a model because I'm not saying that, you know, just with that, I'm not saying that it would be a victory with that, but I think it would be effective. Dominique, when I worked on WBEZ's Motive Season 5, which was a, a recent podcast season about anti-violence workers and anti-violence efforts focusing on the west side of Chicago, um, I followed a victim advocate for, for months. and Her role was to show up and help people who have survived gun violence or who had lost loved ones to gun violence. And just shadowing her, you, it meant so many different things depending on what the people needed. You know, navigating health care, setting up funerals, counseling, acting as a conduit between victims and police. It's not a unique story. I mean, there are people every day doing this kind of work. I mean, can you talk a little bit about what is required of anti-violence workers like that victim advocate I'm talking about? So it requires them to give an aspect of themselves because what gets people to often to utilize and engage in the services is the relationship, right? And so they're showing up in a way with the actual services, but using sometimes their stories, sometimes their familiarity with the community and the cycle to get people to engage. So it it causes them to dig deep and have to use aspects of themselves that people don't use when they're making widgets for Apple, you know, or just having, you know, just a, a job that's more, a routine and or not uh, a part of building a human relationship and connection. So I want to take a uh, I want to take a turn here to to the political will and political leadership in this city. Mayor Brandon Johnson has talked frequently about his violence prevention efforts, mostly focused on expanding youth employment, youth engagement opportunities over the summer. He's only been in office a month and a half, but um, I'm wondering, Paul, what do you think of the groundwork that that Mayor Johnson has laid so far? Well, what we know is. We need multiple things to happen at once. So we need more effective policing in the community, Roseland, where Seth and I spent a lot of time. Uh, we know in 2021, of all the shootings that happened in that neighborhood, only 8% of them were solved or led to an arrest. So 92% of the shootings uh, did not lead to an arrest. So we need more effective policing. We need expansion of community violence intervention work, like the work that CRED and the Institute for Nonviolence and so many other organizations are doing. But as Brandon Johnson has talked about, we also need to cut off the pipeline. And so we really do need to expand youth services. We see every day in our work that, um, you know, people, this starts young. And the more we can engage young people in pro-social activities, the more we can get them connected to mentors and people um, that can help provide guidance. That's a good thing. But we need to do all those things at once. So it's not an either or. It's not a zero-sum game. We need to have multiple tactics all at once. And our approach to public safety can't rely strictly on policing. We're not going to police our way out of this problem, but we have to uh, have more effective policing to also drive down these numbers. Dominique, I mean, are your organizations already making comparisons between Mayor Johnson and former Mayor Lightfoot's approach to this? I think it's too early. 
you know, I think it's too early and it's unfair, you know, to him or to her um, to be able to, you know, make that comparison. What two, two, not even two months in. That's a fair point. I, Cedric, I'm wondering what kind of support or investment that we're not getting already would you like to see from from Mayor Johnson or from other elected officials? Just more more um, collaboration, more help, you know, to be able to get more deployment out as far as, you know, um, CVI workers and things of that nature to be able to reduce some of this violence. And and what about community members? I mean, are there are there is there support you could get from people who are, who live in the communities that you're not getting now? I mean, what's the react? What's the relationship between yourself and sort of the everyday community member? Not not somebody who's maybe close to the gun violence, but who's just living out in in, in these neighborhoods that are experiencing gun violence. So yes, with the community, it will be such a big help, you know. And it's understand that you know a lot of community members are scared. You know they. They don't want to be out in the neighborhoods because of the violence that's happening in the neighborhoods. But I believe if more individuals in the community got involved, you know, it would help us because, you know, just with um, CVI and um, law enforcement, that's I don't believe that that's going to be, you know, a victory just with us. I believe that everyone needs to be involved, community, um, politicians, uh, CVI, every everyone needs to be involved to help this problem that we have in Chicago. Excellent. Paul, um, real quick, based on how the summer's gone so far, what are you expecting for the next couple of months as, as it comes to Chicago, when it, when it comes to Chicago violence? Yeah, so just to back up a little bit, you know, we, um, Chicago hasn't had under 400 homicides since 1965. So we know we're coming up on almost 60 years. And so a big push at Chicago Cred was what we called the 399 campaign. We were looking to try to get the city of Chicago under 400 homicides. And what a lot of people don't know is we're actually trending towards doing that over 2017, 2018, 2019. Then the pandemic struck and um, we, you know, took a huge step backwards. We had had almost 800 homicides Mm -hmm. in 2020. Um, Thankfully, we're recovering from that. And we saw about a 15 to 20 percent reduction last year. And we're looking to hopefully do the same this year with a 15 to 20 percent reduction. If we can do those double digit reductions for five years in a row, we can start to um, get towards that goal of dipping under 400 homicides. And I just want to point out there's precedent. You know, I just came back from Los Angeles. Ed and I were there last week. There was a time in L.A. had over a thousand homicides a year. And thanks to the coordinated effort of community violence intervention work and also a strong leader and their mayor at the time, they had 10 years in a row under 400 homicides. So this can absolutely happen. It's happened in New York. It's happened in L.A. And I believe it's going to happen in Chicago. Excellent. That is a wonderful place for us to leave this conversation, although I could talk to you all for a lot longer. Paul Robinson is the deputy director of programs for Chicago Cred. Cedric Hawkins is an outreach leader for Chicago Cred working on the south side. And Dominique McCord is the chief program officer of Metropolitan Peace Initiatives. Thank you all so much for joining us today. This episode of Reset was produced by Brenda Ruiz and Meha Ahmad. It was edited by Andrew Merriweather and Stephanie Kim. That's all for Reset. I'm Patrick Smith, in for Sasha and Simons. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. 
Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.